Hey, movie fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Uncharted Media Podcast. This is episode 123. Guess what, guys? We've got a movie coming out in theaters this week for the first time in a very, very long time with Godzilla vs. Kong. Uh, I got my tickets to see it Sunday night in IMAX. I'm super, super excited to just be back in the theater again, but also to see giant hairy ape man punch lizard face. Um... I like big monster movies. I also like big fights. So that's what we're going to talk about this week. In honor of Godzilla vs. Kong, we're going to talk about the best movie fights. We're narrowing it down, which was actually harder than you think, to just do one-on-one, mono-a-mono type fights. So as much as I wanted to put that dangerous triple threat match from the second Pirates of the Caribbean on the uh, the Ferris wheel, (laughs) not going to be included. Uh, But first off, Josh, how are you doing this morning? I'm good, buddy. Oh, new transition. Yeah, I got to figure out when to put just that transition. Just want to just want to fade. I'm still like trying to. You're good. That's so cool, though. Um, oh, no, no, man. I'm killing. I'm chilling. We're, we're having a good week so far. I mean, it's been super, super, super busy, but, you know, it is what it is. Uh, are you watching anything good lately? I. <laughs> Uh-oh. Um, I am on season three of Batman Beyond. I decided, I realized that I have never watched it all the way through, so I'm watching it all the way through. Uh, I think there's only three seasons, so it's about to about to be over. Um, but that's, I mean, it's such like an easy show to just put on, too, because like, you can just put on Batman Beyond and just, I can see and play my Switch and, and play some more Animal Crossing. And, so, yeah, and, um, Batman Beyond actually came up in my own personal bubble recently because um i got um so pastor at my church i hang out with his kids all the time and they were asking for some movies to borrow because i just let them uh, mask of the phantasm batman sub-zero introducing them to the culture of the world and so yes. i was lending out batman beyond return of the joker and Ooh, one yes. of them goes it's bg-13 to which i'm going no it's not Batman Beyond Return of the Joker is actually PG-13. I believe it. I'm going, believe don't it. worry, it's a PG movie. Except for, you know, that one famous Joker scene, which you're either watching the theatrical version or the TV version, which that in and of itself is fascinating. But I'm like, don't worry. It's a it's more like a PG movie because I was insistent for years that it's a PG movie. I was shocked to see that it's PG-13 because mm-hmm. it doesn't really earn that distinction. But I mean... I still like the movie quite a bit, but I think it feels more PG than PG-13, other than that one scene, which, depending it, on which version you're watching it on, obviously. Yeah, okay, that's fair. Because, like, I remember seeing... The first time I ever saw it was, like, from a DVD. So, like, it's the theatrical version. And um, the, I guess they don't necessarily explicitly show anything, but they allude to, how, to so much that mm-hmm. I think would warrant a very light PG-13. So this has been my thought this week, given that I've been watching it, um, Batman Beyond. Um, first of all, love the show. It's uh, it's from a time in TV shows before they decided, hey, we've got this show, let's do a serial narr- narrative and not just like, hey, episode here, we're just doing whatever we want, whatever episode. Um because like there's no episodes that are really interconnected sometimes they might bring characters back and that's when they they reference you know episodes past or whatever 
But the more and more I watch this show, the more and more I want it live action, and more and more, and like just like in my head, I'm picturing the world that is uh, that looks a lot like Blade Runner um, 2049 or whatever. And I'm just picturing that with Batman Beyond flying through the skies, and I'm just like, oh, I need that. That is what I need. So. Yeah, but that, that's been my week. What about you, man? You been watching anything? Uh, I've been going back through all the MonsterVerse movies leading up to Godzilla vs. Kong, obviously. So um, 2014's Godzilla was better than I remember. I still don't love it, and I yeah. still think it. people go, not enough Godzilla. Having watched the original Godzilla now, you're not supposed to get a lot of Godzilla, but at least the original Godzilla movie from 54 had interesting characters, and I think the movie <laughs> really, really shoots itself in the foot by killing off Brian Cranston and then replacing him with the wooden plank that is Aaron Taylor Johnson. It's just not that interesting. Um, but Heather and I hadn't watched a new-ish, new-to-us movie in a while, so we put on uh, Monster Squad, this movie from the 80s, and it was... It's your stereotypical 80s movie, but it's still a lot of fun. Of This group of kids just basically are a monster squad. And so somehow, they don't really explain it too well, but Dracula, the Gill Man, uh, the Wolf Man, and Frankenstein are now in the mummy, are now in their town. And they don't really explain what they're trying to do. It's just, the monsters are back, so let's stop them. <laughs> It's, it's definitely an 80s movie of you've got like a little five-year-old girl swearing up a storm and it's ridiculously funny. Um, they even play on your expectations a little bit of they've got this great scene at the start of Little Girl by the Lake and Frankenstein walks up to her and like, oh, we know where this is going, but they don't go in that direction. It, it was fun. Um, it's like your stereotypical Halloween-themed movie to watch in March, of all things. Um, but I don't want to talk about what I've been watching lately anymore because for the first time in a very, very long time, we've got a lot of news to talk about this week, but more importantly, a lot of good news to talk about and I'll, and a excellent, and I mean excellent trailer to kick us off with because Dude. the Suicide Squad, like, I already liked that, like, lineup video that we got at DC Fandom last year. It's like, yeah. look how accurate all of our costumes are. You don't know who King Shark is. Well, we know who King Shark is now. Um, I loved this trailer so, so much. It has this sense of identity. Like, it knows what it is, but it goes absolutely balls to the wall with it and has so much fun with it. Like, I watched it on repeat several times when the trailer first dropped, and I was hesitant to show Heather, because she's not the biggest, like, R-rated comedy fan. Like, she wasn't the biggest fan of the Jump Street movies, but she likes Dodgeball. So, like, it's kind of hard to tell sometimes what comedy she might be interested in. I showed her this, and she's like, I really, really like that. I really want to see that, because it's just got this sense of fun to it. Um, She's like, I honestly don't, for the life of me, remember anything about the first Suicide Squad this one looks like it's going to be ridiculous and memorable, and I'm conflicted now about who I think is going to live and who I'm, who is going to die. But also, I get to do it again. I was right. I was right. Starro <laughs> is here, and I was right. I'm dude. I think this actually works better. Starro works better as a 
this is so weird. As a Suicide Squad villain, then a Justice League villain. And that's so crazy to me. That I never thought that that's where we would be. But <clears throat> this trailer is so... I think I've watched it three times in a row. Mm-hmm. When Oh, it's just... So, I like that they kind of... It's not a. It's not even a soft reboot. They're just like, yeah, we're putting another squad together. All right, let's go. Uh, yay. And like, Peacemaker is great. <laughs> I'm so excited for his show now. Yes. Um. Also, King Shark is a shark. Is might actually be a thing now. So, uh, I had this discussion with somebody at work. Of you've seen, and I know you have, Justice League um, Dark Apocalypse War, Mm -hmm. when basically everything has gone to hell, the heroes and the villains have to team up, and the whole time, all King Shark says is, King Shark is a shark, King Shark is a shark, and we get that in this trailer a little bit when he only says like one word at a time of like, nom, as he's literally eating a man, or... Hand. <laughs> yes, that is your hand. What I told one of my coworkers, and I'm really, really kind of hoping happens, is throughout the movie we only get the like the one word of like hand, nom, food, and stuff like that. And like at the end of the movie, maybe after they've successfully done their mission, or right as he might be about to die, he just looks at the person next to him. It was an honor to fight by your side. Yes, and it yes. right, right as they're about to die or something. And then, like, maybe Captain Boomerang or Peacemaker just looks at him. What the? And as about he's about to swear he blows up or something. This is what... That's exactly, like, what we need, man. Like, give him, like, the cadence that um, he has in the Harley Quinn show, too. Like, to, to I think to hear Sylvester Stallone's voice <laughs> say... Those lines with that cadence would be the funniest, the most awkward. Oh, I just everything about this movie now, like just because of the trailer. I like. I'm just so hyped. I'm like, let's go. Like, it's this is what we needed. Like, it's still dark. It's still gritty, but there's comedy and there's fun and it looks exciting. Like. Like when just when it opens and Harley's like, "What do you What are you guys doing?" Oh, well, we're about to start a plan to save you. Oh, well, don't let me stop you. I, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was like, "This is like this is perfect." Like, let's yeah. And the 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 dick joke, the dick jokes. As it's like my favorite part of the trailer. Just like the whole all of the delivery, and it's literally John like my my favorite brand of John Cena comedy when he knows what he's saying and he doesn't care. He's like, screw you guys. And then <laughs> at the end, when I'm just like, you're digging yourself into this hole with this fantastic dick joke on the beach. I'm just like, how are you gonna end it? And it's just like, who knows why madmen do the things they do? And I'm like, <laughs> it's just so stupid, but it it's works. So great. It feels like. James Gunn was not afraid to go all in with the character's persona. Like, um, we've said for a bit, Margot Robbie is a great Harley Quinn. I think this is the most Harley Quinn, Harley Quinn she's ever been just from this trailer alone. Of just like, um, oh, you guys had a plan to rescue me. I can go back inside so you can let that happen. Or like the part that I'm like, that, that right there is Harley Quinn. You tell us information that's not true. You die. You have personalized license plate. You die. You die. (laughs) Cough without covering your mouth, to which I was just like, uh, guys, read the room. Read the room. No, it's perfect. She's like, 
Harley, stop it. But really, if you cough without covering your mouth, it's going to be an issue. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it's so great. Oh, and that was your boy, Doctor Who there. Yeah. I mean, I didn't really, I haven't really watched the show since he's been on it. But anyway, we're at the point. Um, but I think it's worth being said that this is a Harley that we're that we're exploring that really hasn't been shown on screen before, and it's the post-Joker Harley. It's not really been shown outside of maybe animate like it's been in animated shows, but really that's it. Birds of Prey, it's kind of, but kind of movie wasn't the strongest. Really. It wasn't bad, just yeah. wasn't that strong. But like it's, I think that's, <clears throat> I think that's why like in some ways. Um, we're not quite sure sometimes what to think of Harley because her identity has been so tied to Joker. And so now we're exploring who is this person outside of a very toxic relationship. So, yeah, just everything. Also, I'm just ready, 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 ready for you to eat that crow when it comes to polka dot man. Cause tell me you didn't laugh when, um, blood sport was like, we're all gonna die. And Polka Dot Man looks at him. I hope so. <laughs> You're like, I was like, like yes. Polka Dot Man. Mark my words. Polka Dot Man has some tricks up his sleeve, and he will be one of your favorite characters coming out of this movie. I bet you anything. Oh, and I wouldn't gosh. be surprised if he's like the only one left standing. Also, the editing in this trailer was wonderful. Like. As the editor that I am, I grin from ear to ear at the beginning when you see Michael Rooker's savant character in the jail cell and, like, the bouncing of the ball is timed perfectly to the music. I was just like, ah, so Edgar Wright edited your movie. Um, (laughs) But actually, for some reason, the editing trick that I was just like, okay, you've quickly established who this character is just in your editing alone is when you see Pete Davidson get the uh, piece of toilet paper off his crock and then the Croc. very next shot is weasel licking the wall yes <laughs> and you're like ew <laughs> but now i understand who weasel is and james are you working out some psychological issues that you cast your brother as a character called weasel who legitimately wears no clothes and they don't try to hide the fact that he's not wearing clothes <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> but yeah. then yeah, I didn't think that's something I needed to see, but I still don't think it's something I needed to see. But also, here we like, are. This movie is clearly not afraid to go nuts with the violence. Like when you said King Shark ripped somebody in half, I figured it'd be like Darth Maul. Here's the top half. Here's the here's the bottom half. No, he goes full Mortal Kombat with it and just rips the guy. I'm like, oh, so that's why the trailer's red band. I am all for this. Um. Now, let's do this now, and I'm sure we'll do it every time we get some new material. Who lives? Who dies? Because after this trailer, I think my list has changed a little bit. Unfortunately, I think Captain Boomerang is dying pretty quickly in this. I agree. uh, Because he's not in the trailer very much. I think Captain Boomerang's dying. I think Flula Borg's javelin is dying because Harley has a javelin in the trailer pretty early on. I'm like, I bet you she took that off his dead body. Um, Nathan Fillion's TK, who's probably arm fall off boy, because Nathan Fillion is never a big character in James Gunn movies. He's just there as a fun cameo. Plus, arm fall off boy, which, quick side tangent with arm fall off boy. I've always thought it was funny that in movies, like, Dr. Pepper is always, like, the soda of choice in movies that's always sponsored somewhere. But 
Nathan Fillion is drinking a pib. He's like blatantly, here's a pib right here. I'm just like, (laughs) that has to be an inside joke, right? I died. Because uh, you and I literally talked about it, like, last week in the pod, I think. Where it's like, well, I guess D- Dr. Pepper's just the the drink in DC movies. And he's drinking a pib. And I was like, hey, wait a second. <laughs> I like, know. I, I, I got that joke. Like, I don't think I've ever seen pib in a movie. Like, ever. That's I was so like, do great. you have the budget, pib, to be in a movie? <laughs> or did James Gunn pay you? I'm, I was already excited for this movie. I'm even more excited. I think this movie is going to be fantastic. Um, it's August, I believe. August can't come soon enough. I'm yeah. looking forward to watching this on the biggest screen I can and then going home and watching it again on HBO Max because I'm determined I'm still going to see it in theaters because Starro needs to be seen on the biggest screen possible. And I was right again about Starro. Just Vince McMahon's strut to the starfish man. Just, Yeah. Let's go, baby. I'm excited. I'm so excited. However, not as exciting as the Suicide Squad trailer, but I flip my lid at this news. I have been saying for weeks, I want to know who's playing Dr. Fate in the Black Adam movie because we had basically the rest of the cast. Well, now we know, and it far surpassed my expectations However, it does kind of shoot down a theory that I've had and I've been very vocal on the podcast about. Um, We have our Dr. Fate in former James Bond Pierce Brosnan. Heck to the yes, to the yes, to the yes. Um, However, I'll start by saying this. This all but confirms to me that I was wrong about my Zatara, Zatanna theory because this doesn't scream to me Zatara. This feels like Kent Nelson, Dr. Fate. Which is probably the route they should be going. That's the most iconic person to don the helmet. Um, I did not see this coming in a million years. Because there's certain people of like prestige that you don't see in a comic book movie. However, he's not the most high profile actor to join a comic book movie. We'll talk about that person next. But I was shocked by this. Pierce Brosnan is a great actor. I just didn't see this coming. However... This is fantastic casting. And just let's go. This movie is set to start filming, like actually filming in just a few weeks and scheduled to come out next July, which leads us to there will now be four DC movies coming out in 2022. Like we've been pretty dry the past few years. Oh, we're going pedal to the metal next year with Dr. Fate. Not Dr. Fate. How as much as I would like a Dr. Fate movie. Black Adam, the Batman. The Flash and Aquaman 2 are all coming out next year. Oh, we about to be eating good as DC fans. Josh, the Brosnan is the fate. Thoughts? Dude, Dude I think it what's what's the the thing that got you in uh, at least me, but I'm pretty sure you as well, the most hyped was like this was not even a name that we considered. It was not even like in the realm of like who would we like to see, but I think it we never did for Alfred. I think we did for Alfred. We yeah, we it was like minor role, wasn't anything that big of a deal. But holy crap. With, I, I agree that this kind of does poke a hole in the Zatara storyline that we kinda of wanted for now. Um 
because that is the thing, the hell in capacity. Anyway, um, but, I, dude, I couldn't even imagine a better casting. Like, I'm just imagining his voice in the helmet, and it's just perfect. Like, I don't know who else I would want now. Like, this, my only concern, but I guess, like, if once you put the helmet on, you can kind of, like, put a stunt double in there and, you know, but, because he is kind of up there in age, but, like, well, maybe not. It's not like Dr. Fate's doing a ton of physical stuff. No. He, like, shoots from a distance. Yeah. My, my thing is we probably still will have somebody else do the voice voice. Um, just because as much as I like Pierce Brosnan, when I think Dr. Fate, I need, like, a James Earl Jones-level voice. So I think we're still going to have two different people. Like, one, you got you. Pierce Brosnan as the Kent Nelson character, which they've never actually said so far that he's playing Kent Nelson. It's just mm-hmm. our assumption. Because um, many people have donned the helmet of Dr. Fate. And for those that don't know, Dr. Fate is kind of like if Dr. Strange did more like old Egyptian mythology circling him, and that's where his power set comes from. Um, but it's not like he's born with magic. It's a, it's a taught thing. Um, but also a good chunk of his inherited from the helmet, if I remember correctly. Um, they've never said that he's Kent Nelson, so we can't officially rule out that this is a Tara thing. There's been a couple others, but it seems pretty likely that he's Kent Nelson. I'm so down for this. If they're filming, this to me means we're only a few months away from official images of them in the suits, which, Truth. like, we've seen the boss logic... Uh, Shazam, not uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson in the Black Adam suit, for what feels like years. So I'm curious to see what it actually looks like when it's done. But also, I want to see what Doctor Fate looks like. I want to see, especially what Hawkman looks like. Is he gonna have the open shirt and just the wings? Because that actor Aldous Hodge is jacked enough to pull that off. I don't know if they'd go with it. Does he have the helmet? Does he not? Like, there's so many question marks that I have from an aesthetic standpoint. How is this mm-hmm. visually gonna look? Um, I'm just happy that it seems like we finally have some more forward momentum on this stalled project. So this casting is perfect. It to me signals that we are moving in the right direction. Let's see what they look like soon, please. Yes, absolutely. I, and I think that's the other thing is uh, when it comes to especially Black Adam suit, I need it to. I need it to be visually different than the Shazam suit, other than it's black. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, More I regal. Do think, yeah, I, I think they're going to not use, for obvious reasons, not use uh, uh, body enhancements in the in the suit. You don't need it for I, the rock. You need it for You don't need it for the rock. But like at the same time, I think it will add to that different look mm-hmm. of like, oh, like he he's he is different than. It's not like, oh, we're just both really two buff guys that have magic. Yeah. So, but yeah, I'm excited. I mean, I'm expecting to have four pretty decent um, trailers, if not by the end of the year, into next summer. Well, not way mm. before, if they're, if, they're, if they're all releasing next year. That brings up a really great question. Um, we only have one DC movie this year with The Suicide Squad. Well... Zack Snyder's Justice League, but that's an older movie. Like, it, Zack Snyder's Justice League is a new movie, but it's not. It's it's tricky. What I mean to say is Zack Snyder's Justice League is not the type of project that will have a trailer in front of it. 
which of those four movies, Black Adam, The Batman, Flash, and Aquaman 2, which of these four movies do we think there will be a trailer for in front of The Suicide Squad when it comes to theaters in August? I would think The Batman mm-hmm. will get our first like actual full trailer because they've wrapped filming, and by the time it comes out in August, we'll only be maybe about seven or eight months away from mm-hmm. the batman which comes out in i believe march so they'll probably want to start ramping up their production go hey you like the suicide squad here's our next project maybe there's a teaser trailer for black adam it's still kind of short notice they'll only be they probably will be done filming by august depending on the length of the shoot mm-hmm. but it probably won't be significant if anything it might be like that first man of steel teaser where it's a lot of um voiceover and a lot of not very descriptive shots uh that that'd be my guess definitely too early for flash and definitely too early for aquaman do you think we get those both or just one what trailer do you, could you see in front of the suicide squad yeah definitely batman batman first almost all, all the way just because it's uh we've already gotten a teaser so and we haven't gotten a full trailer yet so it's it makes sense it makes it makes the most sense like you said maybe something really 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 simple with black adam but that's uh, kind of it well speaking of black adam for his yang we've for his yang we've nope. got his yin <laughs> which is shazam and another one of those castings just like the pierce Brosnan as dr fate we've got another one of those I never would have guessed this in a million years type of castings as Helen Mirren, the esteemed actress herself, will be playing not just a character in Shazam 2, she'll be playing the primary antagonist of Shazam 2. Um, okay, sure, I never would have guessed this in a million years. But then again, actually, the more I think about this, this is less of a stretch to me than the Pierce Brosnan and Black Adam thing because Helen Mirren over the past few years has shown a willingness and shown a desire to be in these more big blockbuster fun movies like uh, the criminally underrated Red movies. I like mm. the first one more than the second one, but she is awesome in Red. Uh, isn't she Jason Statham's mom in Hobbs and Shaw? Like She's shown her propensity to want to be in these action movies, but as a primary villain interesting so does this not mean mr mind is the villain the the caterpillar from the first movie that escaped i thought they were setting him up maybe he's forming um because mr mind led kind of like a justice society type like grouping of villains maybe she's involved with that um this is fascinating to me of all these big name actors now are attaching themselves to comic book movies like we're not talking about it for a main thing but russell crowe just got added to thor love and thunder and i'm going Ooh. interesting all these big name people are jumping on the comic book bandwagon and i love to see it however the more i'm thinking about this does shazam 2 as much as i'm looking forward to it does it to you, Josh, just kind of feel like a placeholder, kind of like an Age of Ultron, until we get to that Shazam versus Black Adam movie? Because ever since they announced Black Adam and Shazam was as good as it was, it just kind of feels like an inevitability. Kind of like mm-hmm. Godzilla versus Kong, um, um, Godzilla King of the Monsters, just kind of feels like that middle one before we get to Godzilla versus Kong. Do you feel the same way, or do you think Shazam 2 is still going to kind of stand on its own? I, I think yes, only because... Uh... In some ways, like you said, it's inevitable, 
but also I don't know enough about Shazam's, you know, villains catalog to really know who else he could actually fight without him coming and joining the Justice League. You know what I mean? So interesting, sure. I love I love her as an actor, so like absolutely, I'm super here for it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It, it does kind of feel like a placeholder, but I I think that might just because be that. I don't know what other story there is to tell, and you know what? Just like the first Shazam, surprise me, man. I, I, I trust you. Bring it on. Yeah, that first Shazam was just the most pleasant delight and surprise for a DC movie. Um, I won't say the same thing about The Suicide Squad, because I don't think that's really going to be surprising, because people knew the pedigree of James Gunn. Now, for some of us that like knew David F. Sandberg's work... Weren't surprised by Shazam, but I was surprised by the level of heart and enjoyment in it. Um, so I'm really excited to see it continue. It's a, kind of amazing to me how much they've dragged their feet on it. Not like taking their time, but Shazam 2 is a project that I've always felt that kind of needs to go a little bit faster in terms of pushing into production than some other movies because those kids are going to grow up fast. Like when we get to Shazam 2, Darla is not going to be as cute and little as she was. She's definitely going to be a few years older older we're gonna have a stranger things situation on our hands really really quickly that's why i've always been like come on guys get shazam 2 in into production and also bring back henry cavill that's not a wish that's a demand please now oh we've lost josh for some reason there we go there we go I had to fart, so I muted it, and then I forgot to unmute it. Um, <laughs> That's staying in. That's staying in. Yeah. Oh, we're good. Um, but uh, what was I saying? Oh, I think Shazam 2 will be smart enough to let the kids age up and it mm. and not try to be like, no, no, they're still in first grade. This movie happens like you know, a few months later. Like, no, I think they'll be okay. And honestly, I kind of want Shazam to have a couple years under his belt before he, he faces Black Adam. So it's not like, I'm brand new and I don't know what to do. It's more, hey man, I'm I'm not in my prime yet, but you know, I've been doing this for a little bit. I kind of know what's going on, what I need to do. Maybe some so, uh, a more control of my powers. Maybe some mentorship from Superman. Okay. I'm trying not to push it, bud. I will push it. Push it to the limit. Limit, because I need it. I need Henry yeah. Cavill's return, and I'm desperate for it. Speaking I'm also things. desperate for the return of Marvel movies. <laughs> However, this is not a decision I agree with in the slightest, Disney. Um, Bob Chapek, the CEO of Disney, once again showing his greedy side, and I've I just I cannot stand Chapek and what he's going to turn Disney into in the next couple of years, as he's already doing. But in positive news, at least we know Black Widow's not going to get delayed ever again because Black Widow is now coming to theaters and premiere access of Disney Plus on the same day, uh, which I believe is now July. So the movie's not going to be delayed anymore, but you can either see it in theaters... Or you can spend 30 bucks and watch it on Disney+. Plus. I'm going, just make it a theater movie. I, either that or... I know you can't keep delaying this movie because you've got other things that are dependent on this movie. Or 
is it? Is I've always kind of thought that this movie doesn't really impact the larger universe, and I've always questioned the decision for this to be the first movie of Phase 4, but maybe there is some key details in this that we need in order to go forward, but I'm still not convinced that there is. I, I still don't agree with this decision. However, there's a couple other movies that got shifted around. We now have Cruella will now also be a theatrical release, as well as a premiere access. I was under the impression that that was going to be a Disney Plus movie, just like cold turkey, just full stop. Yeah. Um, and then Luca, the one about the two boys that are actually mermaids, that is now going to be just a Disney Plus exclusive. And the creators of Luca are not too happy about that, looking at Cruella and Black Widow and going, well, why do people have to pay to see that movie, but we're the ones that's free? So yeah. I, I get their frustration. Um I think that more comes down to maybe they were not made aware. I think um, if there's better communication on Disney side, I'm looking forward to new movies. I just don't think this was the right way to go about things. You see it any different? No, I agree. Cause literally the only reason I haven't watched uh, Raya yet is because it's still in the $30. Yeah. I think Disney is still going to keep trying it like two or three more times and if it really is not working for them then they might just go okay we're out of the pandemic we're sorry we tried this because it blew up in their face on mulan it really did um i i just don't think that model is a smart idea for people to just go well we can just see this in six months for free so why are you charging us this now it just doesn't really make sense Uh, a lot of people don't like it i also i wasn't planning to talk about this but it's an interesting thing to consider with all these delays what is disney going to do about death on the nile that they got from fox because if y'all remember one of the main characters in death on the nile is army hammer so um (laughs) what is the further you push that out the more like that's a really big issue that you're gonna have on your hands. Yeah. It's what was that movie that came out uh, like a year or two ago with Kevin Spacey that they reshot all of his scenes with Christopher Walken, not Christopher Walken, uh, Christopher Plummer, like all the money in the world or something like that. Like the movie was yeah, completely remember. done, and they had to reshoot every scene with um, Kevin Spacey in it with Christopher Plummer. We might be in a similar situation with Army Hammer because like. That's some serious stuff that went down with that guy. Yeah. And the further we get away from it, the weirder it looks for Disney to just go, here's our movie with Gal Gadot, yeah. Wonder Woman, Army Hammer. Oh, uh, Army Hammer. Cannibal extraordinaire. He's been replaced by Shia LaBeouf, the other cannibal, except he's an actual cannibal. Which one's the actual cannibal here? We don't know. We don't know. So, yeah, I think that's, there's just a lot of questionable decisions that I think Disney's making right now. Um, Get it back to Black Widow. I'm excited this thing is finally coming out. Yes. Um, are you excited for this movie, Josh? Are you kind of like, are you kind of like me? Of I'm looking forward to it, but I'm also looking forward to getting it out of the way. As bad as that yeah. sounds, it, and I feel bad about saying that too. Of like, can we just, can we just get this over with, please? Like, I want to, want to see it. We, there's no air about it to be like, hey, this is going to add to the lore. This is like an adventure 
I want to see Taskmaster. Master, finally, please. Ugh. And I, I just, yeah, I want it out of the way. I think my biggest gripe out with the Premier Access thing, outside of having to pay 30 bucks for a movie when I'm already paying for a streaming service, is I can't upgrade my streaming service account to Premier Access. You know what I mean? It's not like I can just be like, oh, cool, I'll just add $5 a month, and um, then I can watch these movies and not pay the 30 bucks. Like, no, you have to – there's so, only one level, and then you have to pay the 30 bucks. It's just – it doesn't make sense to me. Are you suggesting if they had, like, a $15 a month tier for Disney Plus that you would pay for it if it meant you got all those new release movies? I mean, to me – system? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't see why you would – why – you wouldn't. I mean, that's such, that's so arrogant to me to be like, I mean, I kind of understand the thought process of like, hey, you know, it's, if one person goes to the movies to watch a movie, it's like 10 bucks. Okay. Take three people, 30 bucks. Okay. Um, but it's not like we're paying for the movie for forever. You know, like you can take it off the streaming service at, at willy nilly. So, 30 bucks still feels it's like when VCRs were first released and they were sold for a hundred bucks a pop because that's what thought studios thought they were worth. Um, which small little side tangent if you haven't watched the uh blockbuster documentary on Netflix, actually watch oh, it. It's, it's so good, it's so good, super interesting. Um, also kind of Netflix being like, guys, it wasn't like all our fault, like we tried it, we really tried. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it just it's it seems so weird to to me anyway for to have people being paying for a service and you being like, all right, cool, this is Premier Access, but not providing Premier Access as like a tier that you can just get. It's not Premier Access. You're just trying to charge us for a film. And honestly, as long as people are do are paying for it, Disney's gonna do it. But now, mm. now, this is mm. almost the main event. Almost. Like, if we didn't have a Suicide Squad trailer this week, and I wasn't trying to, like, categorize things by, like, DC over here and Star Wars and Marvel stuff over here, this would be our headliner for sure. Because y'all don't know. I love me some Obi-Wan, and I'm just mm-hmm. happy that we finally get to talk about Obi-Wan. Because Obi-Wan not only has a cast, but it is filming in a few weeks so disney plus has released the actual like cast list for this upcoming obi-wan show and shocker ewan mcgregor's coming back um what no way more importantly joel edgerton is coming back that's like the thing that i'm actually i'm excited for the ewan mcgregor thing clearly I might just keep this on the rest of the episode. I'm not even going to lie. This is probably one of the most comfortable things I own. Um, I'm actually super, super amped that Joel Edgerton's coming back because, yes, he was Uncle Owen in episodes two and three. But his stock as an actor has risen so, so much since those two movies that I'm like, Yes, please just give me scenes of Ewan McGregor and Joel Edgerton together, and I can die happy. I'm so excited for the show, I don't even care Hayden Christensen's coming back. 
at least right now. I still am vehemently against it, and I don't understand the logic and rationale for it, but the rest of this cast looks great. We'll talk about them in just a second, but you see this cast, Josh. You see my ridiculous getup. What do you think of this cast in Obi-Wan series as a whole? Well, I had to put my hood up because I felt left out, so here we are. Um, uh, solid cast. Um, I think I have always been a defender of Hayden in that I think he has the ability but was never truly given, a tr- like, any... I mean, it's George Lucas, bro. Like, uh, he's not exactly the best when it comes to directing actors. However, upon rewatch now as, a, as an adult... I don't know how else, like, what we were expecting um, Anakin to be played like. You know what I mean? Like, uh, to me, uh, upon, you know, rewatch and and looking back, Hayden played Anakin perfectly. Uh, He, he, in a space soap opera, he he did exactly what he was supposed to do. So, I mean, I would... I'm not as apprehensive. I think I'm more along the lines with you of like, why is he coming back for this? Maybe yeah. it's for some flashbacks, maybe for some weird like force talks. I don't know. I don't know how that works. Because, again, timeline, if, if Obi-Wan's been communicating with Anakin this whole time, leading up to A New Hope, then why is he so surprised when he meets Obi-Wan again? You know? Well, the, how I interpret it is, like, it always felt like Anakin, uh, that Luke and Obi-Wan had at least met before, but maybe they hadn't yeah. seen each other in a while. Like, when Luke sees him, he clearly recognizes him, even if it just means he hasn't seen him in a while. Mm-hmm. My, my issue is more of when Vader and Obi-Wan fight in four. It, he goes, when I left you, I was but the learner. Now I am the master. Only a master of evil doth. Like, there's this implied history that after Revenge of the Sith, they haven't seen each other. Like, mm-hmm. uh, it, it just doesn't fit to me. But I trust Deborah Chow because she's done some of the best Mandalorian episodes by far. Um, I believe she did episode four, which is the This is the Way episode, which before season two was like my favorite episode of The Mandalorian. I still mm-hmm. think it's phenomenal, so I really, really trust her. Looking at the rest of this cast, though, it's ridiculous. You've got Joel Edgerton. Nothing else matters, but Joel Edgerton is there. He's a <laughs> He's wonderful, awesome. fantastic actor. But not only that, they actually got the actress that played Aunt Beru in the prequels back, too, mm-hmm. which I was just like... I don't recognize that actress. Oh, that's Aunt Bru. That's fantastic. They got uh, Kumail Nanjiani from upcoming The Eternals movie. Stuber. Um, oh, he's he's great. I really do like him. Uh, O'Shea Jackson. Very interesting choice, but I'm very much for this after, uh, I believe he was, what was it? Straight out of Compton. Mm-hmm. He's Ice Cube's son. Good, young, promising he, actor. He, he's a good guy. He was in something else recently, and I'm trying to remember... He, like, was a soldier. Um, mm-hmm. I think it was Godzilla, King of Monsters. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. Yes, it was. He was in. He was a soldier on the, um, uh, the, the oil rig thing. Yeah, but you also have Fast and Furious' son, Kang. The one that really surprised me was Benny Safdie uh, from the Safdie Brothers. Uh, the only time I've ever actually seen him act was, 
I believe it was Good Time with Robert Pattinson. But, like, this guy and his brother are more known for directors. They're the guys that did Uncut Gems. Um, so that's very interesting. I actually, I really liked him in Good Time. He just wasn't a huge character. It's a vehicle for Robert Pattinson. This is a very interesting cast. I like this cast a lot because it's a lot of eclectic actors that bring a lot of different things to the table. I'm just beyond... If you... You got me with Ewan McGregor. You got my money as soon as he comes back. But the fact that you just didn't rest on your laurels with that and you've brought a good cast to surround him with. And the Disney Plus Star Wars shows have been really, really great at that of getting people that you wouldn't think of off the top of your head to be characters but then when you see them they're perfect for the roles i would never have put carl weathers in a star wars project at all but he was perfect as grief karga or um well we kind of figured juan carlo esposito would be great as a bad guy in star wars but how good he was as moff gideon Mm. so like i trust the casting department for the disney plus shows quite a bit i think this cast is phenomenal and just i've done my waiting years and years and many many failed prediction videos dating back to 2015 or 2016 i feel like waiting for this of some kind back when it was supposed to be a movie but then solo and rogue one failed just just ingest this into my soul. It could be Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan sitting by a campfire for six hours doing ASMR and I would still tune in every single week. It could be six hours of Obi-Wan trying to figure out how to do that yell thing that he does in episode four to scare away the Tusken Raiders. It's just that and I would still yeah. watch it. It's just, yeah, I'm excited. It's finally going to happen. Thank goodness. Um... So you bring up things that we never thought would happen. Yeah, speaking of things we never thought would happen. (laughs) However, there is a big asterisk that we need to consider for this one, though, Josh. So we are getting... Hallelujah, hallelujah. We're getting a National Treasure series on Disney+. Plus. However... It's kind of comes with a little bit of a caveat as I'm still taking off my Jedi robe. Um, at least this re it's kind of a reboot, but kind of not at least this series will not feature cage Riley or uh, Diane Kruger's character. As far as we know, however, the national treasure three movie is still on the table whether that's going to be a disney plus exclusive or a theatrical release this is going to be something separate that might run either tangentially or might be a reboot of i believe this synopsis i read was it's a young hispanic girl that's learning about her family's origin and trying to find down treasure but it's history from a different people's perspective it's not like history from the white guy's perspective as we are learning from falcon winter soldier just because history is good for one group of people doesn't mean it's good for another group of people. So this could be a yeah. really, really interesting direction. If we were not getting National Treasure 3, I would be pissed about this. But the fact that we're still getting a National Treasure 3 kind of makes me much more open to the idea of, okay, we can tell more than one National Treasure story because I still need Cage in my life. I, I need that Cajun spice. Um <laughs> 
That being said, I also need more treasure hunt stuff if you're going to make me wait for years and years for this Uncharted movie that get keeps getting delayed over and over and over and over again. I'll have to find treasure hunting stuff elsewhere. So I'm down for this show. Um, I think it was years ago, Heather suggested we should get an actual treasure or an Uncharted series as a actual series to flesh out an actual mystery because yeah it's cool to watch it in like a two hour two hour 15 minute movie but have a single narrative with clues every single week that maybe you as an audience at home could try and piece together Ooh, that would be cool. like wandavision got the internet buzzing but imagine a national treasure show that presents it with clues that you yourself could probably figure out and guess from week to week causing you to I don't know, learn about American history like National Treasure is supposed to do. National Treasure isn't an educational movie, but teachers always treated it like it was. Yeah, I think what would be interesting would be if every season is a new kid or a new new person and the National Treasure, the National and in, in National Treasure is not necessarily American history. It's about somebody like like you said. It's a, allegedly, it's about a girl who's trying to find a. Really. I can do you hear, hear that. Do, do you hear that? I do. Is that an ambulance or a sad dog? That's an a ambulance, I think. <laughs> um, what in the world? I, I feel like this is like that moment in Markiplier videos when they're the, the guy's like leaf blowing outside of where he's trying to record. Um, <laughs> okay. Anyway. Having a girl trying to find out about her past and leads to a treasure hunt, I think that concept could work and would be very, very interesting and would be a very effective way in my educational brain to show histories of, of other countries and to kind of help us explore the world around us, not just be like, yeah, we, we America, we're pretty cool, yeah. You know, like, you know, like the, we could do that, but also like, there's Stretch so ourselves. much history. Yeah, there's so much history out there. Like, make a pirate ca- uh, treasure in the Caribbean, which is not, you know, outside of the, the question. But then also like use it to explore the weird pirate power dynamics that the the British imposed upon everybody in the Caribbean, the, even their own citizens. Like, that's it'd be just like there's so much potential to tell really really cool true stories that I think is a show would be able to do as opposed to, like you said, as opposed to trying to wrap it up into a two hour film. I like the idea of having it like national treasure. The thing, the big gimmick of it was like, it's American stuff. But if you centralize it to a given location with each season or movie, whichever they want to do it with, I think works better. I think one of my issues that I had with national treasure two was that it was kind of too scattered in terms of what it was trying to do narratively of where the treasure is, as opposed to the first one was it's early colonial American stuff, as opposed to the second one going to London and Mount Rushmore and everywhere else. So it's just like bigger doesn't always mean better. Whereas on your story, it would be localized to a given nation's history. Like it wouldn't have to be American. Maybe it's like old Aztec history and there's an as well, they kind of did Aztec treasure, national treasure too, but, um, Yeah, I'm down for this just because I want more treasure hunting stuff. Now, it all depends on who is in the show. I could see them, this takes place in the same universe as National Treasure movies, 
but it won't feature most of the cast. If anything, I could see them bringing back Riley as the connective tissue. Yeah. Maybe it's like Riley's nephew or niece or some cousin somehow. Like they're kind of tied into it, but they don't have to have the cage all the time. I think it'd be a lot easier to get the actor that played um, Riley to be, hey, we were the OG National Treasure and we approve of this message. like yeah. handing off the torch type of situation. You know how you know what would make me pop the most is if he just like we're like two seasons into this, and we're just kind of like you know we're enjoying the formula. We're just like into the show, and then all of a sudden they need something that's like very specific, and they need some of the, like in all treasure hunting stuff. There's only one guy that I can think of off the top of my head that would be able to do that, would be able to get this or like have an idea of how to pull this off. And they're like, who? And they just cut, and it's and Nicholas Cage comes onto the screen, like making it an event. Don't just be like, yeah, Cage is here, cool. Like, no, like this is maybe it's because you and I love Nicholas Cage so much, but like, Make the character, like, a kind of a big deal. Like, that would be so cool. Well, even in the world of Establish, Benjamin Gates is a pretty big deal. He discovered the treasure in the first one. To, but yeah. He's kind of like a mini celebrity in the second one. Same with Riley. He's got all his books that don't sell particularly well, but, like, they're known people. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I think it's not out of the realm of possibility to get kind of meta of celebrity Nicolas Cage, but also celebrity Ben Gates. That's why we can't have him on all of our missions because he's kind of doing his own treasure hunting thing. Um, This is the type of stuff I want Disney plus to do more of like, give us just more content. I, I like the stuff that you turned out for the most part. However, I'm not the biggest fan of your drip feeding of you can't get a new show till you finish the old one. Like, Netflix doesn't pull that crap, but then again, Netflix dumps all their shows all at once. I actually prefer the weekly episodic stuff. It creates more uh, engagement amongst the fans. It lets your fan base grow over time. Um, But I do wish for more Disney Plus content. And now that we're kind of... There's a light at the end of the tunnel for this pandemic. So I think we'll get back to steady stream of content. Like, I can't even tell you how excited I was to see the Suicide Squad trailer just because it was a new trailer or the Spiral trailer that dropped today as we're recording this. I'm just going, oh yeah, new movies are coming out again. New projects could be on the horizon. New cages are ready to be unleashed. And you just say National Treasure of any kind and there's a better than likely chance that I will be there. Spiral is... That Chris Rock... Yeah, Saw movie. That I insisted was going to be set in the 90s, but um, this trailer doesn't completely shoot that down to me, but... Um, huh, I didn't even know that a trailer could come out. All right, yeah, cool. maybe about two hours ago. I got something, uh, something new. Oh, two hours ago? That's why I was asleep. Got it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it, it looks good. Um, our sponsor for this week... Um, why not? I'll just go with McDonald's. It's what's on my desk right now. Um, as much as we like movies, like we like to think and engage with movies, sometimes we just need to disconnect our brains and watch two people just beat the crap out of each other. That's what we're going to talk about this week. Best movie fights. The only caveat is that it has to be one-on-one and it has to be some form of a 
physical altercation. It can't just be like Sherlock and Moriarty are on the roof of the Reichenbach and having a discussion. Like that's not a that's an intellectual duel. They don't actually come to blows. So almost anything is fair game with this. I've got some giant monsters. I've got some duels. I've got some actual fist fights. Um, I'm all over the place. But yeah. ironically, as I'm wearing my Karate Kid shirt, I don't have Karate Kid on my list just because, like, one, because Josh is just a hater. Um, but two, most of the fights in Karate Kid are like an unfair five on one situation. And even when we get to the final fight, it's not the best, like, choreographed or it's just kind of the afterthought as opposed to some later Karate Kids or even Cobra Kai, which has incredible. Um, fight choreography like you either have to have good story or good choreography to me and i'm not saying the original karate kid has bad story like josh will say but it's um it's it's fine i just think there's some better fights later josh oh we oh, know oh, oh, we want to start this karate kid story fight right right off the bat we okay, you've made cool. it very clear that you think <laughs> the original karate kid has a bad story I'm okay. Saying bad story is, I think, the wrong word. I just think it's got the wrong protagonist. I think, yeah, I think it's presented in the, in, it, it was such an opportunity to not only show, like, okay, tell that, tell the story you want to tell, but there's just, it was such, there's such opportunity for Mr. Miyagi to be like, look, bro, like. You're having to fight these people because you won't stop instigating stuff. Jersey boy. Like, you know, like, there was such an opportunity to say that and, like, talk about how fighting's not, it shouldn't be the, do you mind? It shouldn't be the the go-to and, you know, have that conversation, but it's like, it, whatever, Karate Kid's just an 80s movie about a kid who loves, who, he doesn't even, like, love karate. He just, like, learns it so that, anyway, let's not, okay, this, okay, yeah, no. let's, to this, be this fair, will be... <laughs> if you can't talk about Karate Kid, then you also can't talk about Never Back Down, because they're the exact same movie. Let's see, looking at my list. Never Back Down uh, is the exact same movie as Karate Kid, and I'm still not entirely convinced they didn't film um, Never Back Down to My Apartment Complex because it looks suspiciously exactly like my apartment building, and they filmed it in Florida. Like, when he gets in that fight on the side of the road, I know exactly where they filmed that. I work down the street from that. So I'm like, <laughs> uh, please don't tell me you filmed it in my place. This is weird. You can't talk about Never Back Down if you're not going to talk about Karate Kid. Let's uh, see. Uh... Yeah, nope, it's not on my list. All right, where do we want to start with this? I've got a, uh, I got a bunch of different, widely varying yeah. ones. Okay, you know what? You know what? I'm gonna lead with um, Pacific Rim, just because Yay. the only, re- ju- just because the only reason we're okay. having this conversation is because of Godzilla versus Kong. And so let's... Mortal Kombat's in a few weeks. <gasps> You're right. And I've been and, playing you know... Mortal Kombat 11 a lot. <laughs> Nice, uh, you know, because uh, HBO Max just kind of gives us the stuff instead of charging us more. Anyway, um, mm. hmm, that's weird. Uh, I'm already paying for your service. Anyway, anyway, but uh, I've specifically like the, and I'm trying to like I've marked it down, but I can't remember where it is in the movie. Um, it's, it might be, 
towards the end. I was trying so I don't know about you, but I was trying really hard to not just be like, ah, final fight, final fight, no, final I, fight. Actually, final I think fight. the final fight in Pacific Rim is the weakest fight in the whole movie. Yes. When they're underwater, because uh, everything is much slower. It's harder yeah, to see. Yeah, yeah. You don't get proper context of size and scale, and there's a limited action. It's if I think the, I think it's the same one as that's on my list. It's the second kaiju that. Um, uh, Gypsy Danger fights. Not the one that he yeah. unloads the plasma cannon, but the one that I he's got the sword with. That he like Leatherback, I think is what Maybe they call it's it. the one with the wings. Yeah. That he's just like, yeah. Okay, I it took me way too much time to beat the other guy, so I'm just gonna come at you with a tanker as a baseball bat, and I'm going, Oh. Oh, we're, yeah. I'm here for this. Oh, I'm here for this. Yeah, also, absolutely. I still think Pacific Rim is the gold standard for big monster movies. I, the jury's still out for Godzilla vs. Kong, but in terms of the physics of the world and the aesthetics, Pacific Rim is still king of these things move slow because they're big. It makes sense, but also they don't hide it in darkness. Yes, the scene takes place at night and in the rain, but you have this bright neon color palette to help you see better, but also mm-hmm. the colors just pop, so you know... Yeah geographically where everyone is uh the distance between them the movement makes sense um the fights are great it's just like a five-year-old was like here's my action figure of ultraman and godzilla (laughs) oh ultraman and just smashed them into each other my only gripe and it's a gripe a lot of people have come out with was wait you had a sword in your back pocket this whole time why didn't you open with that like yeah come on people come on bro like come on but yeah it's regardless it's still just such a cool fight and i, I think that's it, it we're we're gonna be leaning on that it's only a matter of time but but um before we have uh mecha godzilla versus godzilla so might as well lead with this mm-hmm Oh, oh! Are you saying that uh, maybe that's the reason that Godzilla might be coming, like might be acting up? It's not like I've been saying a specific character will be in Godzilla vs Kong since you and I were in college. I remember <laughs> after 2014's Godzilla came out, I told everyone I knew this is the route they're probably gonna take. King of the Monsters will have Ghidorah, we'll have the Kong movie, and then Godzilla vs Kong will have some other character um that it's he's totally in that movie like the toys have been leaked he's in certain tv spots like he's there um but also by the time this episode airs you can watch it on hbo max yourself so it's not even a spoiler at this point who they end (laughs) up fighting but i'm just i'm planting that flag flag saying i have called this for years now in your face, doubters. I don't think anybody actually was doubting me. This isn't a con in a darkness situation. <laughs> yeah, I but don't I'm... know. I know what your point is here. <laughs> but weird side tangent. But yeah, there's a reason people have been talking a lot about Mecha Godzilla lately. But also, if you have a Godzilla movie, you eventually have to get to Mecha Godzilla. I'm just disappointed that they didn't use the Jaeger technology from Pacific Rim to get us to a Mecha Godzilla. Yeah. And a Pacific Rim Godzilla crossover would be rad too. But yes, uh, I so, can dream, Harold. All right, I will. Uh, I'm gonna put in my first of a few anime 
<laughs> fights Corey into in this the house. conversation. Woo! Yeah, Corey in the house. Uh, no, um, it is potentially one of the, one of the most famous uh, with Rock Lee versus Gara in the and from Naruto. It's during the tuning exams. Um, if I don't know if you've seen it. Oh no, that totally went over my head. Okay, so 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 so. It's like uh, you saying those words is like um, Kel in Good Burger. I'm like, uh huh, uh huh. I know some <laughs> of those words. <laughs> All right, so 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 so. Just a, I'm explaining. I'm gonna you take these opportunities to like explain this what's happening to you. Okay, so maybe you'll go. I can like send you videos. I'm gonna be like, look how cool this is. Yeah. Okay, I want to say this up front. I don't. I'm not the biggest Naruto fan. Okay, I don't like the show as a whole. You don't do the run. Uh, no, because in order to do actually successfully do the run, you have to be running faster than a human is technically possible to run. Anyway, um, uh, (laughs) not that I've looked at science videos about this or anything. Um, but you're not gonna storm Area 51 and do the run. Okay, but that would have been hilarious. Don't even. That happened. Um, Did you not see the guy in the background on the newscast? It was so great. Um, so, like, think about it like this, okay? So, um, Gara has, like, this hardcore, like, sand superpower. He can control sand. It's t- actually rather terrifying. He's also kind of a psychopath in this part of the show, so, like, he, like, legit does not care if he breaks you in half. Um, and Rock Lee literally doesn't have the like any, like, superpower or abilities, so he's just trained his body so hard that, like, he can. He's super fast, super strong, blah blah blah. Um, he he's like getting his butt handed to him for like a good like two minutes, and then he stops and he's like he like look talks to his master. He's like, bro, like should I do it? And his his master's like, bro, yeah, I think you should do it. Do it, buddy. And Rockley's like, okay, and then takes off what we thought were socks. And they're actually ankle weights and just drops them. And there's like huge explosions. And everyone's like, what is happening? And then all of a sudden he's like moving around like he's from Dragon Ball Z. So it's, it, and it's just, it's just such a cool, cool fight. I'll, I'll send it to you. Cause I'm just, I just, I need you to know. <laughs> I, I, I feel you. I feel you. Um, Josh has his geek out moment. I'm about to have mine in one that, I haven't seen that for Josh. I don't think Josh has seen this movie, but maybe he has. Very rarely do you have two of the greatest horror titans of all time squaring off. And this movie's not great. But I still love me some <laughs> Freddy versus Jason so much. Did you think I was going to go Alien versus Predator? No, 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 no. I, I Although exactly Alien versus Predator is a would be a fun honorable mention. I actually like the movie Alien vs. Predator yeah. more than Freddy vs. Jason, but I have more fun with Freddy vs. Jason. I, mm. See, the thing is, I don't really care for Freddy as a character, really, and Jason's really not one of my favorite slashers either, but the movie is kind of aware of what it is, and it doesn't have a ton of Freddy vs. Jason, but when it does, it gets so creative and fun with it that they're like, okay, we know what you came here to see. Let's let these guys duke it out. I wasn't the biggest fan of making Jason an anti-hero in the process of... Let's make him kind of a good guy. But there's still so much fun to be had in this movie. And my only complaint, and it's still kind of a weird issue that there's... He said, she said, still to this day about it of... I would have liked it if it was Robert Englund's Freddy 
and Kane Hodder's Jason because like mm-hmm. those are the two icons, but it wasn't. Um, still so much fun. Um, and the right person won. Like there was no winner, obviously, because that like stinger at the end of Freddie winking, but. Still really, really fun. I know some people have wanted some other matchups, like Jason versus Michael, but that... You could only really do this crossover, I think, with Freddy and Jason, because both of those franchises have kind of been, like, self-aware that they're mm. B-movies, whereas Halloween, kind of, for better or for worse, has tried to take itself more seriously to the detriment of itself at times. Um, and it's, on paper, Freddy versus Jason is one of those, like, comic book crossovers that you never thought you'd get like alien versus predator versus ash from the evil dead which i believe that one happened ash's crossover with some weird things um i still have so much fun with freddy versus jason not the best jason movie by far that's part six or jason x i welcome your booze and josh will stand in defense with me on that one um but in terms of the legacy of both freddy and jason I I think this matchup of them scoring off lived up to the long-awaited hype, and it it was still a lot of fun. What were you expecting? High art from these two movies? It it, it was fun. <laughs> That's fair. I'll 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 let you have it. I mean, like looking at my list, I can't really be mad at you. Like I think you and I were talking about uh, our lists before we came on, and it was one of those like, yeah, Josh is gonna have the weird like anime and martial arts film stuff and Nathan's going to have the more quote unquote mainstream stuff. So that's eh, fine. We'll let, we'll let this happen. <laughs> might and might as well happen. Um, mm-hmm. I believe it or not only have one superhero movie on my list. That a boy. Let me, let me check. Yep. Only one superhero movie. And of course it's gotta be the best. That is Spider-Man. Now okay. you might be thinking, which one is it? To me, when it comes to one-on-one fights, there's only really one contender. And it's still a scene that we talk about to this day because it's excellent. Spider-Man versus Doc Ock on the train from Spider-Man 2. The CGI at times is a little wonky, but then again, it was 2004, so we can't get super mad at it. Mm-hmm. The closeness of the situation, the we-can't-stop-the-train situation going on. Just the best Spider-Man fight, I think. I almost put Spider-Man versus Green Goblin just for the sheer brutality of it because I still mm. think any Spider-Man, no Spider-Man movie to date has matched the just cringe of Spider-Man versus Green Goblin. Like, good cringe. Like, Spider-Man gets his butt handed to him and you feel every single hit because there's no score or music in the background. So when Goblin is just beating him, you feel every single punch and it's just uncomfortable to watch. But... Spider-Man versus Doc Ock and Spider-Man 2 was a step up in every single way. Plus, I just love me some Alfred Molina's Doc Ock. It utilized Doc Ock's skill set to the best of its ability. It used Spider-Man's uh, abilities to the best of their ability as filmmakers. It was it was what I wanted from a Spider-Man movie. And subsequent ones, not as good. You've got Venom and Sandman. Yeah. Eh, the Sandman um, stuff was cool. Yeah, the Sandman stuff was fine, but as a one-on-one fight, it's only that truck scene, and that was that was fine. Looking at the Amazing Spider-Man's, the Lizard one was kind of anticlimactic. Don't even get me started on either Electro or New Goblin. That was terrible. As much as I love Homecoming, the Vulture fight was just kind of there, and Mysterio was. I thought the Mysterio fight was kind of underwhelming. Um. Mm-hmm. 
the trippy dream sequence that he has when he's first drugged by Mysterio, that should have been the finale, not mm-hmm. the drones, because that felt more like an actual final boss Mysterio. If we got the Mysterio from the Spider-Man 2 video game, then we could talk, because I still have PTSD about that game and Mysterio, because screw that Mysterio. Oh, absolutely. No, yeah, man. It's it, it's unfortunate that... I mean, maybe I might put Homecoming up there. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, don't Homecoming know. doesn't have the best of fights, though. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. It's almost like we haven't let Spider-Man do his thing yet. That's so weird. Anyway, um... Mm. Hmm. So, let's go ahead and I'm gonna get... I'm, I'm looking at my, my list and it's just hilarious because like every name that i talk about all the time when it comes to martial arts films is on this so it's like i got one from jet Li, i've got one from scott adkins i've got one from tony jaw and donnie yen um but i think the only one where i don't know the the guy's names but they are they they uh partner with tony a lot is the guy is the raid guys i was thinking so, about the raid so What's interesting is, and again, this was part of the process of like just finding the one-on-one fights. There's actually in Raid One, there's not a lot of one-on-ones. There's almost always somebody else involved, which is part of what makes Raid One so cool. Um, is that he's the main character is always having to deal with multiple people. Um, in Raid Two, there's no backup. The main it's the same main character, but it's a lot more of a gangster film than it is like a cop, like a Judge Dredd film, like the first one. Mm-hmm. There is a there is a fight. It's not. It's towards the end, but it is not the end. There is a fight in a kitchen. That's like, jeez, I want to say five ten minutes long. That's the raid two, right? Yes. Yeah, I know which Where, you're talking about. Yeah, and it's incredible and i love it is a it's one of the pinnacles like as good as you can get as far as telling a story with no words and just physical actions like especially building up to that moment and who these two characters are in that film it's it's so good i don't want to necessarily ruin anything uh mainly because so much happens in that fight that it's hard to just be like, and then this happens, and then this happens, and this, this The, I mean, but, like, the fact of the matter is, it's very, like, Muay Thai-based, and they open it with them kind of shuffling into position. Yeah. And almost, like, I've it's like, the, yeah. The getting set. Dude, and it's, like, the most, like, oddly funny, but also, like, tension-building thing about the, that leads them into the fight, because you're like, because neither of them automatically takes the advantage they both like utmost respect bro i'm gonna take you seriously hey bro i'm gonna take you seriously because i know you can kill me um and they just they just go at it and it's it's the perfect melding of the the jason statham the jet Li, the the jackie chan style of and even tony jaw of just using the environment but all and like everything's like almost full contact. And I, I don't know if you know this, but Tony Jaw is notorious for all of the film fights are basically full contact. Cause and he thought 
that that's actually how you film action movies. And and it's just like they're in Thailand trying to create this stuff on their own, so they have no idea. But like nobody's really getting hurt, but like they're legit doing everything, and so it, it's 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 terrifying, but like really cool at the same time. Hmm. And on the flip side, I'll talk <laughs> about one that Josh might be mad is on here, but it's a movie that I guarantee. 90% of our audience have seen because it's like required viewing after a certain point just because like it's one of the most iconic movies of all time Mowage Mowage is what brings us together today Princess Bride so you got a couple different one on one face offs that you can go with okay. you can go okay. Wesley okay. versus uh, I was about to say Wesley versus the Iron Giant Wesley versus Andre the Iron Giant how did you never use that name, Vince? That's a Wesley the Iron Giant. Uh, Andre the Iron Giant. We'll go with that. Wow, this is uh, you're doing great here, buddy. <laughs> or he can go with him against uh, what's his face from the Haunted Mansion movie. Um, never getting a wager with the Sicilian when death is on the line. But no, when we come to one-on-one fights, we've got to go with Wesley slash Dread Pirate Roberts versus Inigo Montoya. Yes. When he climbs up the mountain, he's climbing up the mountain, and he's just like, "Why would I be? Hold on, why would I be mad that this is on your list?" That's I don't a, know. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I do know you pretty well, but I don't know if you're <laughs> like if you're gonna be mad about me no, putting man, on like, essentially a comedy on no, the list. No, okay, okay. I'll let you. I'll let you do your thing, and then I will explain. I'll explain my thoughts on on it too, because it's a great. It's a great fight. Um, I. It just starts off on the right foot for me of he's climbing up the mountain and Montoya's just like, are you going to take long? Um, I'm climbing up the side of a mountain. What do you think? <laughs> Would you like my help? I guess. All right. I'll lower the rope down for you. All right. Thank you for helping me up the rock, I guess. Do you need a few minutes before we fight to the death? Sure. You're very courteous. Thank you. <laughs> it's like they just start doing the sword fighting, but not only that, they go way hard on the sword fighting for a romantic movie. Like the sword fighting in Princess Bride is really freaking good. Like good footwork, good swordsmanship. And then halfway through, ah, I have a secret to tell you. I'm not left-handed. Neither am I. Like, the stunt choreography on that is so good and it's so crisp. Like, it far exceeds what it should be. Like, I'm not saying Princess Bride is a bad movie. It's a fantastic movie. But you don't think great stunt choreography and great fight choreography for Princess Bride. But the nah. footwork is excellent. The scene yeah. itself is fantastic. It's such a different type of fight. But it fits Princess Bride's tone so, so well. Yeah, it's... um. <laughs> here's the thing man it's just how do how do i say this um when if you're gonna look for movies that show great fencing technique and great use of environment and great character development come on um you can't think of anything <laughs> better man no you really can't you just like it's so good, and I think what was it? Growing up, there was a there was a fencing club at the school that I went to, 
yeah, homeschooling is like that sometimes. I mean, um, I would have joined, but I didn't get the point. I got something else to do. Um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> That's not my worst. I've had much stupider. No, yeah, 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 yeah. It's fine. Uh, but no, yeah, it's it's just like so perfect. And like I've seen uh, videos of like swordsmen, like legit guys who like do this for a living, like watch that clip and be like, yeah, like it's all pretty legit. Some of it's just more for theater, but like because you wouldn't. Flippy flippies. Like, yeah, you wouldn't like reveal that aha i'm not left-handed aha you would you just do it in the mid middle of the fight and it would catch you just to use that as to, to catch the other person off guard you wouldn't talk about it but like he was like yeah like it the footwork's pretty great i love that they know that what what each form is blah 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 and i was like yeah so it's a it's a solid like good time it's also i'd probably say the most respectful fight Yes. Like on our list of just like a hey i really don't want to kill you thanks i really don't want to die um just like the banter but also just like it's two combatants that clearly don't hate each other and are just having so much fun i'm just like hey i've trained my whole life for a competitor like you i like you it's a shame i have to kill you it's a shame you yeah. think you have to <laughs> like it's just so much yeah. fun and i just it's like the highlight of the movie for me and it's already a great movie so let's talk about fun okay uh-oh so there's not a lot of fun in Jet Li's The One. <laughs> I knew The One had to be here somewhere. The One had to be here somewhere, didn't it? Yes. Um, and, of course, there's a lot of multi-man fights, especially the if you're going to be like the quote-unquote final fight, which is Jet the as bad Jet Li on top of a pyramid fighting everybody. But Where um, is some weird music playing in the background. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but to me, and I still think like the – the technology involved to make it happen, the amount of foresight for the two fighting styles to clash, um, it just makes it, to me, a really, really, really interesting fight. Um, for those that don't know, Jet Li's The One is about a guy that is hopping from dimension to dimension, killing himself to make himself more powerful. It's really stupid but it's super interesting at the same time um so the one of like the final confrontation in the film is jet lee versus jet lee and so they obviously they can't have jet lee be both parts in the same scene so they do you know face face uh facial replacements and stuff so but it, it's still it holds up even to this day there's you can't really like unless you know it's there you can't tell um, at least like I couldn't when I last time I watched it when I was like 18, but um, I recently recently rewatched just that fight and it 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 holds up. It's just interesting to watch, like you said, two people who for the most part have a certain level of respect for each other, um, go at it. And like the, to me, the most interesting thing about the fight is that you have two people with completely different styles with. Bad Jet Li, who only fights in a straight line, and Good Jet Li, who who's fights in a circle, and like it just, it just, it's just super interesting to watch and watch that dynamic. Just throw in any of those like classic, like Jet Li, Tony Jaa, Jackie Chan, mm-hmm. and it, you're bound to have some fantastic choreography. Um, one that doesn't have the best choreography, and it's also very cheesy and over the top, but it's probably one of the most iconic. Like when you think one-on-one fights. You've got to go Rocky Four with Rocky versus Drago, like it's a 
not a little over the top. It's ridiculously over the top. The man single-handedly stops the Cold War by beating the crap out of a blonde man that was on steroids. But it's so... It just personifies the Rocky movies to a T. Um, for better, for worse. I, Rocky Four still... I know people bash on it. Rocky Four is still one of my favorites of the franchise. Balboa is still my favorite. Uh, but Rocky Four. It's just a darn entertaining fight. I will give credit for the movie of it makes you feel like Drago is this big menace. Like, we're so used to Rocky being kind of on equal level of, like, when he hits um, Apollo or when he hits Clubber Lang, they kind of react like a normal boxer would. When he hits Drago, there's nothing. That's, like, a brick wall. So I applaud the movie for that. Just like a, oh... Run, Rocky! Run! You gonna die! Yeah. But and they also do that to a certain extent with Creed too, when um, Adonis has to fight Victor. Like that's just a brick wall to the point of when he finally gets him to bleed and finally knocks him down for the first time, even though he immediately pops back up. You're just like, heck yeah! You finally actually got him down. Um, Rocky movies are always known for being big and bombastic. But to me, there's no bigger opponent in the Rocky Pantheon than Drago. He's literally larger than life. It's just a shrunk down version of a Godzilla versus Kong fight. There's not form. There's not technique, really. The training is literally him running up the side of a mountain. There's not actually technique to his training. I'm just going to chop some wood, grow a beard that I probably should have kept for the fight because it looks amazing, mm-hmm. and then run up the side of a mountain like... It's cheesy, it's dumb, it's the 80s personified, and I love everything about it. <laughs> I feel that. I feel that a lot. Um, yeah, so let's, 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 I'm going to keep going with this, this conversation about uh, opponents that our main character shouldn't, or not shouldn't, but most likely won't survive from, okay? And you're Rocky versus Drago. Um, it's his biggest te- test up to that point. I am going to go back to anime <laughs> and to a series I have been trying to get Nathan to watch for a long time with My Hero Academia. Um, there is a fight season two. It's during like a tournament, and all oh, these are like during the tournaments. What's happening? Um, Mortal Kombat! <laughs> um, if but the it's... new movie does not have the music, we riot. I think they did, like, a version of it in the trailer, didn't they? Uh, not sure. Maybe not. Anyway, um, there is a... So there's this... i got to explain this to you, okay? So there's this... Your main character is his uh, Deku, okay? He's got a power that he doesn't necessarily... He can't really control. See the one because, with the green hair? Yeah! He cries a lot. It's great. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it, okay, to be fair... I give him a lot of crap, but he like he cries because he's so thankful. Thankful because he's one of like the te- bottom ten percent of the country that it, of the of like the population that isn't born with a power, and then he's given one because someone respects his heart and his spirit so much. Um, so like he's just like super thankful for it. Anyway, uh, and Shoto, Shoto um, is one of those. He's like a legacy guy. Like his dad is like the number two hero in the country. And, like, he's, he's like, fire and ice, but he never uses the fire because of his, his bad relationship with his father, and his father's all fire, blah, blah, blah. Um, so he's so Kaiba. Like, yeah, basically. 
Um, so he, like, ev- going into the fight, everyone's like, bro, Deku's about to get his butt handed to him because Shoto, like, he just, like, casually creates whole gla- glaciers. Like, he's, like, super powerful. And, like, Deku manages to get, like, by the end of the fight, manages to make him have to use the fireside of, of him that he's he doesn't use. And it's just, like, it's such, a, like, a good, like, build build of a fight to the moment. I mean, I'll ruin it for you a little bit. Deku still loses, but, like, he makes, he pushes, it, it, it starts the narrative in the show that Deku is going to push everybody around him to be way better than they ever thought they could be because just because of the fact that he won't stop it's just it's such a cool moment he like he showed her like the animation is like at its top tier he, he like combines super heat with super cold and it causes like this chemical reaction and it's just so cool so pretty anyway and then he like freezes the whole stadium but anyway. it's almost like you're saying that um that fights could also be narrative tools. What? Uh, no. What? No, I didn't say that. Hold on. <laughs> I'll save I'll save my biggest like narrative tool via a fight for last. Uh, I got four more. Um, three Same. like genuine fights and one that counts as a fight even if it's different than everything else that we've talked about today, in that it's a kind of traditional duel with untraditional weapons. Of course, we're talking one-on-one in the culmination end fight. We've got to talk about Harry Potter versus Voldemort. <laughs> even if... <laughs> even if... I'll say this. Even as a big Potter fan, I think the final fight between Harry and Voldemort is great up until they're in that like front courtyard part. That I think that's kind of a weak finish of just, hey, whoosh, and then it just kind of Voldemort literally gets Thanos snapped away, which is kind of bizarre. Um, but the rest of the fight, I've always applauded how the Harry Potter movies depict magic from the wands. Like it, that's a hard concept to visualize because so many people could have their different interpretations when they're reading the books. And I've always liked how Harry Potter has done magic basically in the movies, not kind of, emulating lightsabers but kind of emulating lightsabers um even if the colors are flipped of like harry has the red and Voldemort has the green but whatever um i appreciated that the fight takes place basically throughout the entire castle and it's not just hey you stand here i'll stand here we take 15 steps back and shoot like it's a big sprawling fight which in the book it i feel like i can't remember it's been so long since i've read deathly hallows i feel like in the book the actual final fight wasn't overly long but you could say the same thing about the narnia fights too of in the books it's hard to keep a big epic battle interesting on a page like you can only describe it for so long it's easier to just visually show it so like the harry and Voldemort fight i think was very well done of showing the geography of hogwarts showing this is the culmination of eight movies all capsized into one moment yes the Voldemort's final defeated thing could have been a bigger deal but also if i remember correctly in the book harry defeated Voldemort in front of everybody as opposed to mm-hmm. in the empty courtyard um honorable mention 
he didn't actually duel anybody, but any chance I get to shout out Neville, who's the actual hero? He's the oh, Sam. Oh, absolutely. Neville is the Sam of the Harry Potter world. Like, Harry's Frodo in terms of he gets all the love and attention, but without Neville, there is no Harry Potter. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean... I've never read the books, and to be quite frank, I was never that into the movies either. Like, they're cool, and I I, I appreciate the story that they're telling. Um, but, yeah. but it, yeah, it's... I, I can appreciate that final fight quite a bit. It's it's very... It, it's good. It's good. Right, how many more you got? I got three more. Uh, well, I have four more now, but I kind of don't want to talk about one of them, so I'll, I'm going to knock it down to three so you got three more <laughs> yes <laughs> I'm, i'll be it's curious if we have like, any overlap in these three or not i don't think we will um i I'm looking at my list i'd be very surprised if we have any overlap at all hmm. <laughs> so i but dude it's not we kind of expected this because i'm just really into martial arts movies <laughs> yeah um like when we talked about best fight movies that was Josh's wheelhouse right there. Bro, I still remember um, in college, Weslow was like, bro, there's not that many good martial arts films. Like, I, I don't understand. Because I was like, yeah, I've uh, I've watched as, as at least two every single day this month. And he was like, how? I didn't think there was that many. And I was like... That's like saying Halloween's the only slasher movie that's ever existed. Yes, but, like, so I was like, all right, cool. And, like, I literally, that afternoon, instead of doing homework, um, wrote down, I think it was a list of, like... That explains a lot. Yeah, it does. Uh, I think when it was all all said and done, I think it was close to 150 movies. They were, like, legit good. Mm-hmm. And I was, like, I was like, here, homework for the summer. <laughs> and he was like, oh, oh. Yeah, all right. I'm assuming you've got some more martial arts ones. What what are your what are some of your final three? Uh, all right, I got two martial arts and one more anime. <laughs> oh man! All right, I and I can kind of um, just kind of rattle them off. Um, boy, uh, one of my martial arts. I'm a big fan of Scott Adkins. If you guys kind of have listened, been listening to the show at all. Uh, he's a British kickboxer turned actor. He's you've probably seen him in movies. I'm he's just usually somebody's it. bodyguard in some movie that mm-hmm. will take some big bumps. Unless it's Hercules, in which he plays an angry king for some reason. Um, not not the Dwayne the Rock Johnson one. Yeah, the, the Kevin Lutz one. one. Yes, for some reason he's the king in that. It's like the weirdest role for him to play because he's not it doesn't require any physical like martial arts from anyway so i'm not talking about hercules thank god we're talking about undisputed three which is literally the movie that got me into like martial arts films like i saw the one and like some jackie chan films and i was like oh that, this, this is cool but like literally undisputed three changed the game for me as far as like what's possible to do in a movie when it comes to martial arts, um, it is the final confrontation. Confrontation only because it like like you and I love. It is the culmination of the narrative that the movie is building to, and it's actually really the culmination of three movies worth of narrative, because he like Boyka is is this character that. He's the top dog in movie one and two. And then in two, 
his knee gets absolutely shattered by a ball. Yeah, I know, right? Of no! all people, no, Michael no. J. White. Michael J. White is the one that destroys his knee. So I was like, all right, cool. Hey. Not watching that movie. Oh, it's, te- it's terrifying. So anyway. I still whole, struggle with the of, Evil Dead remake. Oh, I, ooh, ooh, <laughs> uh, And like legit. Uh, anyway, it's, it's, uh, you're going to cringe even more here in a second. Um, I'm about to take my she, headphones off and just trust you. <laughs> just like wave he, um, me back on. The whole movie, it's uh, like when we get back, when, we, when we're, we come into the beginning of the film, it's obvious that like, he's barely able to walk. Like it, it shows that he, he is trying to work it out so he can like be mobile, but he's like shuffling everywhere. And then he gets this opportunity to be in a fight, blah blah blah. Uh, he it still kind of is not to a hundred percent. But then he gets invited to a tournament, and literally the second he walks into the door and sees everybody that's going to be in the tournament, he, you can see him just kind of adjust his stance and start walking normally. And it was like, oh no. Oh no! And so, like, he's just constantly like, "Get him an ambulance, but not yes. for me." <laughs> uh, he like is constantly building himself up, and you can tell that he's like, "Yo, I'm." And like, the big thing about in two is like he was this arrogant, like he was the villain of two. So it's like, so having a villain be your hero of the next movie was very is also very very interesting. So like, but like. The final fight is with a guy who literally he's in his own right he's very skilled absolutely but um he's taking like huge amounts of steroids throughout the entire film so it's obvious like he's kind of it's also like eh, he's cheating um and then he bruises like this whole time Boyke doesn't have anything on his knee so there's nothing protecting it and so the guy just keeps kicking it or whatever, and he ends up having to roll out of the uh, out of the the ring, and they're like counting him out, and he looks at a mop, and he's like, "All right, screw it," breaks the mop handle, takes the the, the mop and uses it as an and like creates a knee brace for his knee, gets back in and whoops this guy to the part point that the guy throws a kick, and he just holds the knee up, and the the knee snaps on his like showing like how strong his knee is now and all this other stuff it's just super it's wild it's crazy the fights are incredible they are like the undisputed series in general is, is amazing and it's as full as close to full con- contact as you can get i'm so glad you bring up martial arts again and entering a tournament um i swear if it's any of the 90s Mortal Kombat's, I'm coming after you. Too bad. You. (laughs) No. No Mortal Kombat today. Think of another tournament-related movie that you and I love dearly. This is the most emotionally gut-wrenching fight we will talk about today, (gasps) bar none. Josh is kicking himself. He forgot about this. I knew this would happen. I knew Josh would forget about this. No! I'm so mad at myself. Oh... Because we sing the, the praises of Warrior to the hills. And I'm sitting here like, ah, martial arts movies. My disciple, <sighs> you have failed the great code oh that is Warrior. You have failed the Warrior's code. <laughs> because, seriously, this will be the most emotionally gut-wrenching and narratively fulfilling fight in this whole discussion we'll talk about today. Uh, I have two more after this, but this is still, like, to me... The example of fights on the surface and on the sub-level 
can be very important for your fight. So in the movie Warrior, it's two brothers enter a UFC tournament. Um, there's more to it. They all have their reasons why they're in the tournament that are both very good um, moral reasons to be in it, but they haven't been on the same page. So when they get into the ring, literally all the emotion and turmoil and baggage that both these characters have come into the fight with is all unleashed in this cage. So on the surface, they're beating the crap out of each other when the tournament, but on this um, subliminal level, it's two brothers beating the crap out of each other to work out their emotional issues that have been built up for decades between the two of them. Um, but one, the combat in this scene alone is fantastic. We've seen one of the guys in the tournament so far be the very methodical, tactical-minded individual because he's not the biggest or the strongest in the tournament. So he's got to tap everybody out. All of his thing, all of his victories are tap-outs. He doesn't have a single knockout. Whereas on the other side, the guy has not thrown more than three punches in a single fight before he knocks his opponent out. So you've got tap-out versus knockout. And... The guy that's knockout artist is just wailing away on the on the submission expert. But we get to the second to last round, and the brother that's the tap out artist, the older brother, the one that's supposed to always be there and love the younger brother and protect him, but left the younger brother, gets him in a submission, which normally in a fight, if you're in a submission you can't escape, you tap out. But the stakes are so high for the younger brother that he knows he can't quit and abandon his reasoning for why he's in the tournament. He lets his older brother basically pop his shoulder out. And it's disgusting. The noise is just... Because you know it's coming. Like, he keeps hitting him in the head. And eventually the older brother's like, Alright, if you're not going to tap, I'm going to do it. And just puts all of his weight on his shoulder. And the round ends, and they go back to the corner, and it's just like, dude, you have to give up. You only have one arm left. And younger brother, played by Tom Hardy, is just, he's crying, one, from the pain, but two, bawling his eyes out because he knows, I'm screwed. Like, I'm basically having to fight with one arm now. And the older brother's just like, I gotta call the fight because my brother's in pain and in trouble. But he's got his own reasons for why he can't quit either. So what follows is the fifth and final round of this tournament, in which case, if you have a dry eye getting out of this fight, you are dead inside because the older brother has to wail on his younger brother when he's weakened and down and he's just beating the crap out of him. He gets him in a chokehold and just, I love you, Tommy. I love you. Let go. And it's just Oh, the music is perfect. The fight choreography is perfect, but it's fight as a metaphor for something else. And it's so masterfully done. It's another reason why I'm so excited to see Joel Edgerton return as uh, Owen Lars because we had Warrior come out between the prequels and now. Joel Edgerton is a phenomenal actor, as is Tom Hardy. I feel like Tom Hardy gets more of the recognition than Joel Edgerton, but Joel Edgerton carries Warrior. He carries a big chunk of that fight. And it's one of my favorite fights of all time for the narrative reasons, but also for the, it's just a heck of a time to watch watching two guys just go at it. I will, I will even say, um, you know what? I'm replacing my last, my last, uh, one with a fight from this movie. It's not the final one. I think I know Um, where you might go with it, but but yeah, it's the second last, second to last. The Koba fight. 
Yes. Oh, dude, the Koba fight. Because here's the thing. Um, and I get, maybe this is like showing my toes. I love underdogs. Um, but I think the fact of the matter here is not, it's not like a Rocky underdog where he's like, Oh, I just want a Fox. Yeah. Blah, 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 and I'm going to fight this guy because re- reasons, but like legit, like he has to go through this guy because he has spoiler, I guess for an old movie. Um, that's 10 years old this year. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he has to get through this guy because he has to win the money because otherwise his family is out of the house. Yeah. And like he, they, what they'll Frank be Grillo, His manager says it's like the best line of the whole movie is mm-hmm. if, um, if you don't win this round, you lose the fight. If you don't win this round, you don't have a home. And you're like, mm-hmm. mm, go fight. <clears throat> Which shout out to Frank Grillo in this film too. Like, holy cow, bro. Everyone's so fantastic. Good. Jennifer Morrison's awesome. Frank oh, Grillo, Nick goodness. Nolte is freaking awesome. Oh, he's good. heartbreaking. Mm. Oh, my goodness. Stop this... the ship. Oh, stop. No, I don't want to cry right now. Um, but no, like the Koba fight. So he's Joel Edgerson's character. Again, like we said, is like this guy who he's not the strongest or the fastest. So he, he relies on submissions going against, of all people, Kurt Angle playing a Russian. Who actually looks pretty good as a Russian. Yeah, I he does. I was surprised. I was like, that's, that's Kurt Angle? I actually did a double take. I, I think I didn't notice it until my second viewing of like that. It was Kurt. I was like, hold, wait, hold on. Wait a second. Um, but, and legitimately there's many moments where you're like, there's no way that he beats Koba. Like in the, he's, I think there's a moment where he picks him up and power bombs him. Oh no. Like, he like power bombs him three times in a row. Yeah. I was like, there is no way he survives and you and feel I, I, those power bombs oh god it's so bad the sound design oh. in the fights are phenomenal just yeah you just know like it, it, there's no way and then he ends up it, it's it's a testament to his character's skill that he's able to pull it off and it's it's, it's like the perfect build into the final fight of like like yes, we made it through Koba. We can make it if we can make it through Koba. We can make it through anybody. Hey, you gotta fight your brother next. Oh no! But it's a different type of fight. Oh. Like the Koba, the Koba fight okay. is like your stereotypical Rocky underdog. You're just like, yeah, we did. It. I've seen Warrior um, like we, once we, or twice we, a year, every single year. Oh, never mind, never mind. I've seen Warrior once or twice a year since it's come out, and every single time I still cheer when he beats Koba. Mm-hmm. But every then, time that's like that's your stereotypical Rocky celebration. But then when you get to hit the brother fight and the end, it's this whole other kind of your mindset for the fight changes. This one's just like a, yeah, feel good. Whereas this one's just like a, it's kind of like the ripping the bandaid off. Like a, mm-hmm. you know, this is not going to end well for somebody and this is going to not be pleasant, but you're just Absolutely. dragging this out. That first round or two where they're just going at it. You're like, unbridled rage it kind of it's part of the reason why i was a little mad with tom hardy in dark Knight rises because he was mm-hmm. perfect for bane because there's a we're not going to talk about it at great length but there's one fight in this tournament where tom hardy basically knocks a guy out in two punches and just storms out of the ring the look in tom hardy's eyes still mm. scares me to this day of that is a possessed man that will destroy whatever crosses his path. That's like that. Those are the eyes of Bane, and those eyes did not come back for Dark Knight Rises, because no. 
Tom Hardy in Warrior is the scariest Tom Hardy we've ever seen. He's a wounded, dangerous animal that just needs a hug, but will also bite you if you're not careful. And it's a phenomenal performance all around. But that final fight, it just guts me every time in the best way. Yeah, the, the Tom Hardy in Warrior was the thing that made me want him as Wolverine. Like, when he storms out and, like, that look in his eye, I was like, just imagine that's him all the time with claws and unbreakable bones. Like, oh, no. Yeah, so I got two more, but they're kind of tied together. So what, what are your... What are your Go last ahead, ones? Knock yours out. I got one more and it I'll, it'll yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. I've got two Star Wars ones. One Oh boy. One is style over substance. One is substance over style. Um so my style over substance is Anakin versus Obi-Wan and Revenge of the Sith. Yes, it goes on way way too long. I say it's style over substance because it's cool that they're fighting for 20 plus minutes, but there's been no great build up to it i know some prequel defenders out there will be like it's so tragic of anakin versus obi-wan we've mm-hmm. seen like five minutes of these two together like the prequels do this weird thing where they like go out of their way to have anakin and obi-wan be apart for almost their entire movies of like attack the clones obi-wan goes to geonosis to do some investigating and anakin comes to rescue him revenge of the sith yes they have that opening mission but then obi-wan goes to utapau to get general grievous they spend more time apart than they do together so their relationship was never the strongest for me however this final fight they definitely brought their a-game for the fight choreography standpoint is there too many flippy stuff like uh young bucks type flippy stuff (laughs) yes there's that stupid stupid thing of them in the um like the generator room or wherever where they're just twirling their lightsabers at each other for a solid 15 to 20 seconds and then hit lightsabers i'm like what are you doing here like you're just flipping for the sake of flipping but it has some fun choreography some creative stuff like them swinging back and forth at each other which are just unpractical and ridiculous and i get that they wanted to be this big epic tragic moment and it doesn't quite get there but as a fight it's still a lot of fun however it's not the best star wars fight the substance over style has terrible fight choreography but it's supposed to i think because it's just sheer unbridled rage from luke skywalker and return of the jedi my single favorite moment from star wars all 11 movies it's 11 right 12 if you want to count the clone wars movie that no one counts um my favorite star wars movie star star wars moment by far is if you will not turn that perhaps she will no and vader you even with the mask you could tell vader goes oh balls i done <laughs> goofed a aaron and luke there's no choreography there's no gracefulness to it all it's just sheer unbridled rage and for the first time ever i'm just now realizing as i'm talking about this almost all of luke and vader's um interactions from a fighting standpoint up to this point has been luke retreating from vader it's always been lateral movement luke backing 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 away from vader because vader's always in control for the first time ever vader's backing up backing up backing up it's opposite lateral movement luke is the one in dominant control because vader has done goofed and 
Luke is dipping too close to the dark side and just mm-hmm. wails on his dad and then beats him, chops his hand off, but then looks down and goes, oh, I have become my father. I've embraced what he did. I have become what I swore I never would because power is very, very easy to fall to. It's very easy to be corrupt. And in that moment, he understands his father and still does the stupid decision of throwing his lightsaber away, which would be very, very helpful two minutes later. But it's not graceful. It's not choreographed well. But from a narrative standpoint, this is what the original trilogy was building towards. This is, will the son make the same mistakes that the father did? Will he find redemption? Will he redeem his family's name? Or will he become the new Vader? It's not the slickest combat scene like a duel of the fates. But from a narrative standpoint, they could not have done it better. I agree. Uh, yep, I'm, I'm all here for it. I have seen some some like fencing experts and stuff like that like analyze the Anakin and Obi-Wan fight. And some of them are like, yeah, no, that makes sense. They're both... If, if these guys are actually like... They're... Um, as skilled, like equally skilled with a lightsaber, then some of the stuff that they're doing makes perfect sense. Because like even the twirling, they just, they're testing the speed, they're testing certain things. They understand that one mistake is going to be the death of both of them. Yeah. So, I mean, it's to, to a certain extent, it does make sense. I agree there's too much flipping and there's certain things that I've not it. Let's they, swing at each other from vines. Yes. Um, after we just had this incredible fight. Anyway. No, High yeah, ground. Both, I would... Hmm, I would argue that I can't pinpoint it, but some of the Ray versus Kylo stuff, it, it to me goes into that Luke Vader territory uh, just a little bit. Force Awakens, like, I think, is still their best fight. Yes. When Rey yes. almost goes to the dark side. And it's one of those, like, it's less about the choreography and more about the the story that they're telling. Just the sheer brutality of everything. Um, <clears throat> so, I'm going to do my last one. Hmm. This is a fight and an anime... <laughs> that <laughs> that has won the actual the uh, awards like I think almost two years running. Um, it's in like it's considered one of the best anime fights in all of anime. Which is if that doesn't sound like much, you're wrong. It's like we're 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 basically looking at like that's like saying you're the best comic book movie. Yeah, exactly. You're looking at like a catalog of over a thousand shows and being like, yep, oh, yeah. This one's the best. Um, season four, it's uh, of uh, My Hero Academia. It's Deku versus Overhaul. Um, I'm going to drop a few little spoilers just because I think in order to fully explain how hard this this fight goes, um, you kind of have to explain some things um, without seeing it. Uh, Overhaul is a character that can disintegrate and put his body back together at will in whatever shape or form he, he wants. Um, so obviously he can, he can grow, he can grow wings. He can, can do all this, all, all this stuff. He does whatever he wants with his body. He can basically overhaul his body at any uh... moment. 
Deku, at this point, he has a lot more control over his power, but he still can't go 100%, because if he does, it legit will tear his body apart. Because his body, because his, his body didn't grow up with the power, mm. it, it's not, it doesn't have the, the capacity to hold it at 100%. Makes this sense. is until he meets a girl. This uh, little of course. Hold on, hold on. This little girl who's who has the ability to reverse... It's not reverse... It's like reverse time, almost. But, like, not, like, all of existence in time. But, like, when she touches a person, that physical matter goes... To like, turns back in time. It's, it's hard to explain. It's very, very, very interesting in, like, what you could possibly do with it. But, um... Anyway, so the whole thing is Overhaul's been using her blood to create a, a a virus that basically takes somebody's powers away. Mm. Um, so in order, to, the whole fight is basically Deku going, well, if I can't save this little girl, then I don't deserve to be a hero. And literally goes toe-to-toe with Overhaul because of it. And he's like, I, but like to a certain point, he's like, I can't do this, though. Because I'm not, I can't go out 100%. And and then he, they find out that um, she can reverse any damage that he does to his body. So he legit takes her strap, like straps her on his back, and then just goes at it with overhaul at 100% for the first time in the entire show. And it literally, like to the point where he can jump off of air because he he's just he's that he's that strong. And it's just like it just it's so cool and it's all it's up there for me with um and the the only reason the moment from he, the movie Heroes Rising is not on here is because Heroes Rising is like a three is a three way fight so it's not it doesn't count for the one on one but um those those specific rules coming I back know. by Chip. but ser- but genuinely and it, again I know it's anime but like this show has hit so hard emotionally storytelling wise and is doing stuff to me anyway with the superhero genre that that american the like american cinema just isn't they're not willing to have a conversation about shocker someone i know right someone try something different than us that actually goes very very well uh well what are some of your favorite one-on-one fights Let's narrow it down to that one-on-one fights, like best <laughs> movie fights or even TV fights. Let us know in the comments below where it's like came from you guys. And as always, if you like what you hear and you want to hear more, subscribe to whatever audio platform you're listening to us on, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or YouTube. And if you haven't already, subscribe to us on YouTube at Uncharted Media. And as always, stay sharp, movie guys and gals.